Amen. Good morning. Oh, let's try that again. Good morning. There we go. We're awake now. Yeah. Good. Good to see all of you this morning. Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 26 this morning. And while you're finding that passage of Scripture, just a couple of reminders. This coming Wednesday, November the 16th, our youth are having a Thanksgiving dinner, and they're looking for some parents of our youth to help them out. So parents, that's for you to consider and, and uh, pray about. And if you would be interested in helping out, please see someone on our youth leadership team. Next Sunday, the 20th of November, we're uh, going to be observing communion, our Lord's table. And so we want you to be aware of that. Uh, Teresa is looking for a few more folks to help serve at the 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock service. Uh, so if you could help out, please see Teresa Lindquist about helping out with the Lord's table next Sunday. And then the following Wednesday, the Wednesday right before Thanksgiving, the 23rd, we are having our annual Pi Fellowship that night as part of our Wednesday night Bible study and worship time here at the church. So if you would be uh, interested in uh, participating and bringing a pie, please see Amanda Mason about that as she coordinates all the goodies for our uh, pie fellowship that night. This passage we're going to look at this morning as we continue the story of Jesus, Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 56, um, has some unique features to it. First of all, we're going to encounter in this passage every last person has a, a very desperate need in their life. Uh, it's very possible that all the folks who are encountering Jesus in this passage may have gotten to a place in their life where they feel hopeless. And uh, so the passage really speaks to us when we are in those desperate seasons of our life, those times where we may, may be hopeless or feeling discouraged. This passage is given to us to be an encouragement to us, a strength to us, and uh, a comfort to us. One of the things that Luke does, more than any of the other gospel writers, is that Luke concentrates on the reactions and the responses of those who encounter Jesus. I want you to note that as we go down through this passage today. Uh, and the reason Luke does that is because how you and I or anyone else reacts or responds to Jesus is literally and figuratively a matter of life and death. Let me repeat that. How each of us as human beings reacts or responds to Jesus throughout our life is literally and figuratively a matter of life and death. So note those reactions and responses throughout our passage today. And one other thing is that as you go down through this passage today, you will see how many times people after encountering Jesus find themselves at the feet of Jesus. And I believe that that's where Jesus is calling all of us today to come and sit at his feet or fall at his feet in a literal or figurative way. Let's begin in verse 26. If you remember last week, we are coming off Jesus 
literally commanding the wind and the water to be still and calm because they've encountered this tremendous storm and the disciples think that they're going to die and they reach out to Jesus and Jesus calms everything down and he asks them where is their faith and obviously they're like who is this that can speak to the winds and to the water and it obeys him. As they get to the other side and Jesus steps onto the shore, he is met, we learn here in this passage, by a demon-possessed man. Why is that significant? Because it reminds us of something that you and I need to be aware of today. And that is where Jesus is present, the spiritual world will be stirred up. Where Jesus is moving and active and working, he literally will stir up the spiritual world around us. I even have sensed that here at the Oasis Church. The more that Jesus is present in our church and working in people's lives and moving in our church, the spiritual world becomes more active. And we have to be aware of that. We don't have to be afraid of it, but we have to be alert and aware to it. And that's exactly what you see happening here. As soon as Jesus sets foot on the region of the Gerasenes, here comes this man who meets Jesus who is demon-possessed. It tells us a little bit about this man and the, the tragic circumstances that he finds himself in because he's possessed by demons. He is unclothed. He is naked. He does not live in a house anymore. He lives among the tombs, literally among the dead. It's sort of a beautiful picture, not beautiful, a tragic picture of where this man is at literally and figuratively. Uh, it, it speaks about the descent of a life that is being influenced and affected by demonic forces. And let me say at this point, if you are here today or you're watching and you do not believe in the reality of Satan, the reality of a devil, the reality of demonic forces, I want to tell you something. They are real. They are absolutely real. And I have encountered them in my own life over the years, both personally and as a pastor. I have ministered to people who've been oppressed by demonic forces, possessed by demonic forces, dealt with people who have, who have wanted to come out of satanic cults and the like. And it is very real. It is not make-believe. It is not fairy tale. It is something that we have to come to grips with even as God's people. Again, not to live in fear because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But we do have to be aware that we are dealing with spiritual entities who have nothing but our destruction as their main thing. In fact, when this man sees Jesus, who's demon-possessed, he cries out, the Bible says, and he falls down at the feet of Jesus because demons bow to Jesus. And then it says that this man says, Jesus, son of the most high God. Notice, demons know who Jesus is. 
And then it says, I beg you, do not torment me. How ironic that the one who's been tormenting this man is asking Jesus not to torment him. And this man has been tormented by this demon. The Bible tells us that he's been driven into deserted places and isolated and he's been chained and shackled and he breaks them. And I I mean, it's, it's a very vivid picture of the reality of someone who's being uh, possessed and and heavily influenced by demonic forces. As Jesus begins to command the demon to come out of this man, again, he is reacting. And so Jesus asks the man the name of the demon that's inhabiting him. And the Bible tells us that the demon responds by saying, my name is Legion. That's significant. Legion is a military term. And it highlights the spiritual battle that is going on at all times dealing with the souls of human beings. A spiritual battle, again, that you and I personally will face and even as a church we face as Jesus continues to work and move and be active amongst us. There will also be that other side of the spiritual world, not the good side, that will be active as well. And again, you and I need to be aware of that and alert to that. And so... Jesus, after asking this man what his name is, and by the way, the word legion also means thousands. And the Bible tells us that many demons, not just one, many demons have entered into this man. We don't know, was it thousands, was it hundreds? We don't know. It doesn't give a specific amount, but it tells us that many demonic beings, evil spirits, fallen angels, have inhabited this man. And the Bible tells us that Jesus delivers this man from all these demonic forces because they are powerful in their own right, but they have no power over Jesus. What you see here in this passage should be a great encouragement to us that all the forces of evil put together are impotent when they are confronted by Jesus. Jesus is absolutely in control of this situation because he is, Jesus, the son of the most high God. And they know that they have no authority or power. And notice, they don't question Jesus' authority and power, even as fallen angels. They say, Lord, we beg you, Do not send us now to the abyss. Notice that they know their ultimate destiny. They know where they're going. And they're literally begging Jesus, who they know they cannot have any power or authority over. They are begging him not to send them there. Yet. So then they see these pigs. 
And they basically say, Jesus, will you permit us to go into this herd of swine? And the Bible tells us that Jesus gives them permission to go. And the Bible tells us that as soon as they entered these pigs, that they literally sort of ran off a cliff and into the water. It is showing us literally that the pigs went out of the, or the demons went out of the man and went in to the pigs to show us that literal deliverance of this man from these demonic forces. Well, when the herdsmen of these pigs see what happened, they go into the town, the Bible says, and all over the countryside, and they're telling everybody about what has happened. So the people of the town that was nearest to where this happened, they come out to see for themselves what's going on. Because they've known about this man for a long time. And I love this. They, when they came to Jesus, the Bible says they find this man who at one time was tormented and naked and living amongst the tombs. And now where do they find him? They find him sitting at the feet of Jesus. And he is clothed, and the Bible says he is in his right mind. Can you imagine? This man who's been tormented by these demonic forces for a long time, for maybe the first time in a long time, is now of sound mind because of Jesus. Because Jesus was there and Jesus was working. And Jesus was will, willing to deliver this man who had been tormented by these fallen angels for a long time. Maybe you're here today or you're listening and your mind is not sound right now. Maybe there's something that is bothering, tormenting. You, you're not able to be at peace in your mind. You're not able to have that tranquility of mind that, that Jesus can give to us. And I think Jesus would say to all of us, come and sit at my feet and let me give you that peace of mind, that sound mind that only I, Jesus, can give to you. Maybe your mind is not being oppressed or annoyed by evil spirits, but maybe there's something in your life right now that is causing you to lose sleep or, or to, to not be at rest in your mind. And, and, and Jesus is saying, come and be at my feet and let me give you the peace that passes all understanding. I want you to notice that in this first scene, you have demons who fall at the feet of Jesus in the form of this man because they are acknowledging a greater power and authority than themselves. But then you also see after this man is delivered, where is he at? He is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And then notice the response and reaction of the townspeople. This is incredible. When they see what has taken place, the Bible tells us that they are filled with fear. And they basically come up to Jesus after they see what has happened and the great change that has taken place in this man, and they ask Jesus to leave. 
incredible. And by the way, you see the very next phrase there, Jesus gets in a boat and leaves. He's not going to stick around or hang around if people don't want him to. He loves to be invited, but he won't force himself into any church or anyone's life if we don't want him there. Why did the townspeople of the Gerasenes ask Jesus to leave? I mean, this is a tremendous thing that's happened. This poor man has been delivered. He's been healed. He's been made whole. You would think they'd be rejoicing and be glad that this has happened and that they would be embracing Jesus and asking Jesus never to leave, right? No. And here's why. Because Jesus brings change. When Jesus comes into a life or into a situation or into a church, his power and authority brings change. And many human beings do not want change or they do not feel that they need any change in their life. They want things just the way it is. They want status quo. They they don't want Jesus even coming in and upsetting anything and causing any kind of change to come. And so they ask him to leave. And that's sometimes why change does not happen in our life. It does not happen in a church's life. It does not happen when we are together because we get to a place like the people of the Gerasenes where we really don't want Jesus to come and take over. We really don't want to open ourselves up to maybe the changes that God wants to bring into our lives if we open ourselves up. So we sort of push Jesus away and and push him out to the fringe. And, and, you know, instead of truly encountering Jesus in many of our churches, we we just want to go to church and be entertained. We don't want to be part of a church where God is working and God is moving and and he's bringing about changes in our life. We just want to go and we just want to go somewhere where we can sort of just sit in the the chair and and absorb uh, what we have and leave and never experience any change at all. But that's not who Jesus is. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus gets into the boat and as he's doing so, the Bible tells us that this man who's been delivered comes up and is pleading with Jesus, please let me follow you. And Jesus says, no, here's what I want you to do. Here's my will for you. I want you to go back to your home, to your family, to your friends, and I want you to share what God has done for you. And in a sense, he becomes a hometown missionary. And he does, man. He goes back and the Bible tells us that he goes back and he just tells everybody how he's been delivered and rescued and saved and made whole through the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And God wants to see the same thing in us that, folks, if we've been rescued and delivered and saved and made whole through Jesus. He wants us to be able to declare to others what Jesus has done for us. And then the Bible tells us that as Jesus comes back to the other side and enters into Capernaum, notice the reaction is much different. The Bible tells us there that when he gets to the other side, he's welcomed. That word means to be embraced enthusiastically. 
Here on the other side of the lake, he's being asked to leave. Now he gets to the other side, and they're throwing their arms wide open saying, Jesus, we're so glad you're here. And then the Bible says, we've been waiting for you. That word waiting means to wait with anticipation and expectation. It's like we can't wait till Jesus comes back and his presence is with us because, man, we can't wait to see what Jesus does. That's a good response. That's one we should have every, you know, day of our lives and, and on a weekly basis as a church. I can't wait to get to church and see Jesus there and Jesus moving and Jesus working. I can't wait to see what Jesus does in my life and the life of my brothers and sisters in Christ. I am welcoming you, Jesus. I'm inviting you in. I'm embracing you enthusiastically and I can't wait to see what you do. And it's in that context that the Bible tells us that a man runs up to Jesus, a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, And notice, again, what does he do when he comes to Jesus? He falls down at the feet of Jesus. Because here is a man who knows Jesus can help when no one else can help. That he has a desperate situation. He has a situation that is bigger than him or anyone else. And so he is coming in faith falling down at the feet of Jesus. And he asked Jesus, Jesus, would you please come to my home? I have an only daughter who's 12 years of age and she is dying. I need you, Jesus. I need you. Maybe that's someone here today. There's someone in your life, a family member, a friend, or someone that is in a really bad situation right now and you know that Jesus is the answer they need Jesus maybe that's you you're in a situation right now and and you need Jesus you need that touch from Jesus you you need that presence and power and authority that Jesus can bring into the situation because as we're seeing throughout this passage, these are desperate situations, but when Jesus is, is allowed in, when Jesus is invited in, or when Jesus is present there, everything changes with Jesus. Everything. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus was willing to go to this man's house and help in this situation. But then the Bible tells us this. As Jesus and Jairus and and, and the other disciples were walking towards Jairus' house, people were crowding around Jesus and, and they were coming up to Jesus. And then Luke highlights this woman. This woman who's desperate. A woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years and the Bible tells us that no one up to this point has been able to help her or heal her. Now, what makes this even more tragic of a situation is not only has this woman probably suffered tremendously in a physical way, but because of this bleeding that she has not been able to have stopped, She has not been able to participate in the spiritual life of her nation. She has 
been deemed unclean and therefore not able to be around others and the spiritual life. So here's a woman who's sort of, even with her physical condition, been ostracized and isolated. And can you imagine suffering with something like that to that degree for 12 years and you've went to every doctor you can imagine and no one has been able to help you? No one has an answer for you? I mean, she's at the end of herself. You can, you can just feel it in her as she's going through the crowd and she's trying to get to Jesus because in this woman's heart and mind, she is a woman we know later on of faith and she believes if she can just get to Jesus, that Jesus will be able to help her when no one else could help her. And the Bible tells us that when she gets close enough, she literally reaches out her hand and she grabs hold of the tassel of Jesus' robe. And the Bible tells us that at that moment, at that moment, she reached out and touched Jesus. The bleeding stopped and she was healed. And then Jesus says, who touched me? And no one in the crowd was willing to admit they had touched Jesus. And then Peter, you know, Peter, right? He's going to have something to say. He says, Jesus, you, you have like many people touching you. I mean, you've got this crowd around you. What do you mean who touched me? Maybe 30, 40 people have touched you in the last few seconds. And Jesus says to Peter, no, this is different. I felt power go out of me. See, what Jesus is saying is because this woman came and fell down at the feet of Jesus and reached out and touched him, it was reaching out in faith. It was a touch that produced a change in her. It was a touch that released the power of God into her life. That's what it was. And the Bible tells us that when she couldn't hide herself any longer, that she came up and she fell down again at the feet of Jesus. And she explained to everyone who was around why she had touched him and that she'd been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Faith. The faith to fall down at the feet of Jesus and reach out and touch him and say, Jesus, I know you can help me. I know you can heal me. I know that you are the difference. You are the answer that I need. Now, at this point, I want to interject something. This man who's come to Jesus, whose daughter is dying, did you ever think about what he's thinking about during all this? I mean, he comes up to Jesus and he has an urgent need, right? My daughter is dying. I need you to get there, Jesus. And Jesus now is taking time, sort of delayed by this woman. And by the way, 
When Jesus asked the question, who touched me, that you read about in that passage, he's not asking that question for information. He's asking that to elicit a confession from the woman. He's God. He knows exactly what's happened and who has touched him. He's asking that because he doesn't want any of us to experience something from him or with him and not be willing to share it with others so that they might be encouraged and might come to him as well. God doesn't want secret disciples. He wants us to be willing to confess him before others. But can you imagine this man? Like, Jesus, we've got to hurry, you know? You're taking time for this other woman, and now, you, you know, you're, you're delaying us getting to my daughter, and what if something happens to her while you're helping her? Which is exactly what happens, right? The Bible tells us in the very next verse that this person from his household comes to him and basically informs him, Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore because your daughter's died. Doesn't that, what's happening here, the dynamic, remind you of the story of Lazarus and Mary and Martha? You know, they send representatives to Jesus telling him Lazarus is sick, he's about to die, and the Bible tells us that Jesus just sort of isn't in a hurry. And when Jesus does get there, he's already dead. And, and Mary and Martha come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, if you would have just been here before my brother died, you could have probably helped. And Jesus says, that delay was for the glory of God. I want to encourage all of us with this. You know, sometimes in our life we may think, God, why are you delaying why aren't you, you know, working on my timetable? Or, God, why aren't you seemingly helping them, but you're not helping me? As if somehow, if God's helping them, then he's taking his attention off of us. And that's never true. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing and why he's doing it and has a great purpose for all of it. And the purpose is always going to be for our better spiritual benefit and for the greater benefit of others and for his glory. That's why God will delay. We've got to trust him. In fact, Jesus at this point turns to Jairus and says, Jairus, do not be alarmed. Do not be afraid. Just believe. Just entrust this situation to me as desperate and hopeless as it may seem to you, and she will be healed. She's dead. And yet Jesus says, entrust the situation to me. So the Bible tells us that he gets to the house. He only wants to take Peter, James, John, and the girl's mother and father actually into the room where she's died. But there are these professional mourners that are there. That was part of the culture, right? And they're there wailing and mourning and expressing their grief over the tragic death of this dear 12-year-old girl. And the Bible tells us that Jesus tells them, stop weeping, for she's simply asleep at rest. Why does Jesus describe death 
as sleep. Well, let me ask you, are you afraid to go to sleep? Does sleep make you afraid? I mean, usually that's a pleasant thing, right? You, you know, type of thing. And, and so Jesus is saying, there's nothing to be afraid of when it comes to death. Think of death for my followers as, as rest, <laughs> as, as sleep. And then the Bible tells us this reaction of those mourners. It says they began to make fun of him because they said, she's dead. Can you imagine making fun of Jesus? But that's where they are. They don't believe that even Jesus can help in such a situation. So Jesus goes in to the room where this young lady is at, and he says, daughter, get up. And the Bible tells us that her spirit returned to her, and she sat up. Jesus can deliver life into the dead. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus can even come into a situation that is the most hopeless of situations and can make the most significant difference by his presence and by his power. That's who Jesus is. And the Bible tells us that then Jesus says, give her something to eat. Because I guess, you know, after you've been brought back from the dead, you're hungry. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> and then the Bible tells us this reaction of the parents. It says the parents were what? Astonished. <laughs> Amazed. Astounded at what they've just seen. They know their daughter died. And yet when Jesus came into the room and told her to get up, she responded, because Jesus can bring life to the dead. Why is Luke relaying these stories of the demon-possessed man and of Jairus' daughter and of this woman who had the issue of blood to us? What, what can it say to us today? It can say this that our responses and our reactions to Jesus is literally and figuratively a matter of life and death. How we respond and react to Jesus is not only going to determine whether we have eternal life or not, but what quality of life we'll have even as a Christian. How are we going to react and respond to Jesus right today? What will be our response? Will we come and sit at the feet of Jesus knowing that that's where we need to be, that's where we'll be made whole and find peace? Will we come and fall at the feet of Jesus knowing that Jesus has an answer when no one else does? That Jesus can help when no one else can? Or how about that woman who had enough faith to just reach out in faith and touch Jesus? And his power was literally released into her life. Maybe some of you today need to literally just reach up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm coming and I'm reaching out to you in faith. I, I want to touch you and I want your power to be released into my life today. I want to feel that power flowing 
into my heart, into my mind, into my soul, into my spirit today because Jesus can make a difference. Let us not be like the people of the Gerasenes who was afraid of the change that Jesus was going to bring and they asked him to leave. Let's not be the mourners at Jairus' house who made fun of Jesus because we thought that there was a situation in our life that was too big for even Jesus to handle. As Jesus said to Jairus, may all of us just believe and trust whatever situation we're dealing with right now to Jesus, knowing that he is enough for us. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And I'm going to ask all of you, would you stand with me as we prepare our hearts to close our service today in worship of our Savior, of our Lord, of the one that all will bow to one day. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee will one day bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We don't have to wait for that day. That day can be today. Let us come today and let us bow at the feet of Jesus. Let us sit at the feet of Jesus. Let us reach out in faith to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm coming to touch you today and have your power released in my life. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we know that Jesus, your son, is here with us today. He's moving, he's working, he's ministering, he's healing, he's present. And Lord, I pray that for all of us that we will orient ourselves around Jesus in a proper and fitting and appropriate way. Whether it's sitting at your feet, Jesus, falling at your feet, reaching out and touching you while we're at your feet, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, may all of us just be looking to you because you're our answer. You're the one that can help us when no one or nothing else can. And Lord, may we have the faith to reach out to you today as we worship you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.